Section 15 of the story of the first transcontinental railroad by William Francis Bailey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Appendix 5, Engineer Reports. The following verbatim report of the engineer in charge of a surveying party on the Kansas Pacific Railway in 1869 will illustrate the difficulties encountered by those engaged in building the Pacific Railroads. Engineer's Office, Phil Sheridan, June 20th, 1869. Colonel William H. Greenwood, Chief Engineer, Kansas Pacific Railway. Sir, on resuming the location of the line up the North Fork of the Smoky on Monday last, I made the change in the line mentioned in my last report. Commencing as far back as Station 345 and producing tangent to Station 438 by 27, we then bore to the left with a two-degree curve and continued to Station 541, leaving the line for the night. The location of the line was continued on Tuesday to Station 709 and 95 hundredths, making a total distance from Sheridan of eight and nine-tenths miles. The line is an easy one for gradients. No heavy work occurs on it, but the many crossings of the stream obtained make frequent bridges necessary. These should be of such a character as to allow a waterway of at least 30 feet, but bridges of simple construction could be used stone of any kind being difficult to obtain. The soil is sandy and easily worked, but will make a substantial roadbed. Having received your verbal orders to run a rapid line from a point west of here on the North Fork, where that valley makes its deflection to the south, eastward to the 385th mile post, I provided myself with 10 days supplies and rations, and on Wednesday, the 16th, moved up the North Fork as rapidly as the nature of the ground permitted, camping at night near the 424th mile on Mr. Reynolds' preliminary line. Before camp was fully arranged, a heavy squall struck it, tearing down all the tents, destroying one old one used as a cook tent and injuring some of the new ones. The herd was also stampeded, but was recovered without loss. The next morning I went up the valley, about ten miles, and ascended the divide to take observations. I found the course of the valley here was south of west and continued four miles westward. Several large branches with deep, broad valleys, almost as large as the main stream, came in from the north which it would be impracticable to cross. I returned, therefore, to a point in the valley near the 430th mile of Mr. Reynolds' line, where ascent from the valley seemed easy, and commenced my line at station 1557 by 83 and ascended to an upper plateau in about one and a half miles, with a grade of 52 and eight-tenths feet per mile. I then turned to about magnetic east 
and we held this course with some deflections northward until night. This day's work, some six miles, is extremely heavy. The first two miles averaging about 40,000 cubic yards of earthwork each. On Friday, we continued the line, swinging more to the northward, as the heavy ravines and rough country forced us away from our course. Running 10 miles, we found a good camping place at end of line at night, in a large branch of the North Fork, the same which comes in two miles west of Sheridan. Where there were numerous large ponds of water, the drainage from the late rains. The line during the day had crossed the water courses at that immediate level between the heavy breaks near the divide and those near their outlets. Still, the work is very heavy, the crossings being wide and deep. Any attempt to improve the line would only result in throwing it northward to the divide, coinciding with your preliminary line of 1867. At the end of the work, Friday, I obtain a grade of 63 feet per mile for 6,100 feet with extremely heavy work on straight lines. Saturday morning, we made one and a half miles further and were obliged to abandon the line for the day. On 17 miles of this work, we obtain average per mile. Excavation, 5,500 cubic yards. Embankment, 9,600 cubic yards. Total per mile, 15,100 cubic yards. I have suggested in the transit notes a change for three or four miles, which will save considerable work and improve the alignment materially. On Saturday morning, while looking up the line about two miles ahead of the party, I was attacked by ten mounted Indians who came out of a ravine and were very close before I discovered them. My horse was wounded by a pistol ball in the hip at the first start, but I was able to dodge them and was gaining enough distance to enable me to dismount and fight them on foot. When another party, about 40 in number, cut me off in front and surrounded me, leaving, as I supposed, no chance of escape. Shooting down the nearest as they closed in, my horse, though wounded in four places and drenched in blood, carried me bravely and broke through their line, they closing up in my rear. One having a fast horse closed in with me as mine stumbled and partially fell. He emptied his revolver at me, but without other effect than to tear my clothes. Then striking me on the head with his lance staff, told me in good English to come off, which under the circumstances I did not feel justified in doing. Having him then in good range, I placed my gun against his side and fired, shooting him diagonally through the body and dismounting him. Feeling my horse giving away, I threw myself from the saddle and catching the nearest Indian as he turned, disabled him so that he fell to the ground in a short distance. They were now all scattering under whip and spur, having turned the moment I leaped from my horse. I had now come in sight of the party and observed a fresh band endeavoring to cut off the level party and back flagmen. Mr. Morton, a rear flag, finding his pony too much excited to be managed, 
jumped off, successfully repelling the Indians with his carbine. Messrs. Schuyler and McCarty, Rodman, went to his assistance, though only armed with small revolvers. The Indians, shooting as they passed, struck Mr. Schuyler in the leg, the ball passing through the fleshy part of the thigh, wounding him severely, but not seriously. The mules of the line wagon, becoming unmanageable, were unhitched and fastened to the wagon securely, while the instruments were being secured and preparations made for a general attack. By the time I had reached the wagon, the men were concentrated and prepared for any attack in force. The Indians now molested us but little, occasionally making a dash and firing a few shots, then dashing away again. We moved slowly toward camp, keeping outflankers, and in a short distance met Lieutenant Smith with a few dismounted men. The first alarm, being given by Morton's pony, coming in, followed close by a few of the Red Devils. Camp had been struck and the wagons loaded, preparatory to moving out to meet us. An attempt was made to stampede the stock, but it resulted in a miserable failure. The Spencer carbines of Lieutenant Smith's detachment telling with effect. As it was unwise to separate the force, and as Mr. Schuyler's wound needed attendance, we deemed it best to come into Sheridan, it being only fifteen miles. I cannot too highly commend the conduct of the men. They were all cool and ready. Messrs. McCarty, Morton, Schuyler, Scott, and Wheeler, Leveler, were especially noticeable for presence of mind and cool courage at a very critical moment. Lieutenant Smith and his men, by prompt and vigorous action alone, saved the stock and rendered the safety of the line wagon certain. About seventy Indians were engaged, of whom four are known to be killed. Several others seemed hurt from their actions, though nothing certain is known. The fight has demonstrated to me the inefficiency of our escorts and the need of more men upon the line, especially with the front and rear flag and level party. These men, engaged as they are, have no chance to observe any movements about them and could be surprised very easily and shot down without an opportunity of defense. The fact of my being surprised myself and allowing these Indians to get behind me and within fifty and seventy-five yards before discovering them, although always on the lookout, proves that we cannot feel safe without extraordinary precautions. My horse was severely wounded, but was able to come in here where he will receive every attention and will in a short time, I think, be fit for service, say one or two months. I must repeat urgently what I have before reported, the necessity for a good strong horse, fast enough to outrun an Indian pony, strong enough to carry my heavy weight, with endurance to keep up his speed for miles if necessary, and hardy enough to stand constant hard riding, such as will enable me to see all the country as we pass it. Our loss in property was as follows. Two shovels, abandoned from necessity. One flag. 
One chain, overlooked and left lying on the ground. Private loss. One field glass. Mode of loss unknown, probably cut off by a ball. One spur. Cut off by ball, saving the foot. Part of this property may be recovered. I shall start on the line again tomorrow and try and get through to Carlisle Station. I omitted last week to report some changes in the party. I have been too much occupied, as yet, to send in an estimate for my supplies for the month of July, but will do so from Monument Station. Very respectfully, Howard Schuyler, Resident Engineer. End of Section 15. Recording by Paul Harvey. End of The Story of the First Transcontinental Railroad by William Francis Bailey.